Welcome to the show and a good Friday Eve to you. Mark Aram here, you there. This is the Friday edition of the Mark Aram Show. The Mark Aram Show heard, of course, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 p.m. on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. As you might have heard earlier this week, we celebrated our 95th birthday here at WSB Radio. I've been a proud member of the team since... Uh, 1997. I'll be coming up on my 20th anniversary in August. Um, and Lost in the Shuffle was this great piece that uh, our buddy Jennifer Griffey's did on a listener, a very special listener who happens to be 95 years old as well. And I just wanted to share this with you. We're going to have some fun stuff coming up. I've got a great comedian. I've got Dominic Monaghan from uh, from Lost and Lord of the Rings. But I really want to pay uh, homage to my radio home here at WSB and let you hear this brilliant piece by Jennifer Griffey's on the uh, 95th birthday at WSB Radio. First of all, this you're 95 years old, correct? Correct. Tell me what you remember about WSB. <laughs> <laughs> well, WSB and I, I believe, were born the same year, and we're 1922. And I uh, practically don't have any memory at all of the first year or two. My family moved from Waycross, Georgia, where I was born, to Mariella in Georgia in uh, 1924. And, uh, of course, at two, I still don't have much memory. We had actually, in our first home, we had no radio. But my grandparents, who lived close by, did have a radio. And when I was, oh, I think four or five, my uh, mother would let me walk in the afternoon over to my grandparents and would listen to a program on WSB called the Sunset Club. Uh, I frankly, if I had to, could not tell you exactly the content. I uh, don't remember a lot about it, but I just do remember going over to my grandparents, as, as I say, and hearing a program called the Sunset Club. And I... I I do remember that it was on WSB, and as uh, as I grow as I grew, uh, I uh, we did get a radio, <laughs> and of course uh, those were the depression years. And uh, I, as the youngest of four, probably fared better than most people did, but we enjoyed the radio. It it just meant it was so meaningful. Yeah, tell me what it was like. I mean, because, you, you know, this was in the early stages of radio, so tell me what it was like to be able to turn something on and hear people, you know, talking on the radio. Well, it was wonderful. The, um, as, as I remember, and it would be in the 30s, of the late 20s, early 30s, which uh, would, as I say, we did get a radio, and our family would, would, uh, we're somewhere where we would be together at supper time, of course. And we listened to uh, Amos and Andy, which was my father's favorite and became ours too. And then we heard the news. And it's when I tell people this now, they, they look at me like, oh my goodness, did that really happen back then? But we had uh, very little access to news. Uh, we had a by weekly paper that I think was mailed to us, so that was, the news was not exactly hot off the press at that time, so it was it was great to uh, be able to know what was going on in the world, and then in our part of the world, 
we listened. I think I must have become a, a, a really devotee of, of the news broadcast at that time. But we did, as I say, we heard Amos and Andy, and I, there were other programs on around that time, which would be, I would say, 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night. And the, they uh, became just a part of our life, really, because, well, as, uh, as I point out, we had no uh, TV, whoever, who could have imagined. And I don't know, it just, uh, the radio was just central to us. And I think the only station that we knew of was WSB. How many people had radios back then? I never thought of that. I think it it was becoming more and more common to have radios because, as I say, I, uh, they, I assume, I can't, well, nobody had much money, so they couldn't have been very expensive. But uh, people, it seemed to me, were just, really hungry for, for the type of of uh, news and programs that were being presented. So I imagine, I would say probably at least three-fourths probably of the population are the, uh, this part of Georgia. Of course, South Georgia, I think, always has been uh, farming. and But this part of Georgia was also very, very agricultural in its living. So uh, the the radio, again, was, was quite a an outreach to us and a, and a, a solace of, of hearing the, what, what uh, was going on in the world. Do you remember, are there any news stories in particular that stand out that you remember uh, huddled around <laughs> the, the radio trying to, you know, listen to what, what happened or what's the latest news? Well, I I think it was it just sort of was became a part of your routine, and um, at night or in the early evening, around as we call it supper time, uh, the family would would naturally gather, and that that would be the time when they would hear the most uh, or have their favorite programs in the uh, around and also around the news. As I say, I must have been a news junkie or something because. That was I, I was so always interested in the news, and one one little uh, sort of a sidelight as uh, growing up, I uh, we lived about I guess about a mile from town, from Marietta, and of course that, that was where our schools were, and I walked to school as did most everybody else in those days, and. The WSB had a news broadcast at 8.45, in the morning. Ernest Rogers was the news broadcaster, and it was introduced. Now, we're talking about the uh, the late 20s or 30s. It was introduced by the playing of Dixie, and I knew, I learned that if I was not out of the house, by the time I heard Dixie, I was going to be late to school. <laughs> so, but um, back back to the generalization, I, if it could be that the radio probably is not looked upon as the source of information and of things that that uh, is today. But I, I, to me, it's not dying out. I 
that's I hope not. <laughs> but as far as as uh, events that you ask whether or not we listen to, we uh, of course, as I say, the depression years were not just absolutely wonderful. But we did hear. I re- I do remember when I was eleven years old, and we were able. I had a brother who was quite good in the what we would now call I, excuse me, IT. But the, the WSB range, I don't think, was maybe did not encompass uh, Washington. when Roosevelt, We're talking about now when Roosevelt was first inaugurated. But my brother <clears throat> rigged up some something, I don't know what. But we did hear Roosevelt's inaugural speech when he made the famous statement, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And then, of course, during his administrations, they had the fireside chats, and that was always something that brought people together. What about Pearl Harbor? Were you were listening when, when this happened? Uh, we were. It was a Sunday afternoon, and uh, my family consisted of my two older brothers, my sister, and, and I were at home. Been to church, had one of Mother's Sunday dinners, you know, you've heard of them. If you haven't had them, I'm sure you have. But uh, we had were had finished out with that and had gone into the living room, was sitting around, had a little fire, it was and we were reading the paper. The had the radio on. The uh, New York Philharmonic was playing. It was just it was just a surreal moment, really and true. And the broadcast came through that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. Well, not being as geographically astute as we should have been, <laughs> we just looked at each other like, where's Pearl Harbor? And then we knew after a very short explanation, a very short time, and that, uh, yes, the United States had been attacked. And what what was going through your mind? The, the boys just immediately got up and said, well, we better go get ready because they would be, they were in their late 20s and um, were, they were were not married. And so they figured, well, they would probably be among the first draft and they were. So they, they left to go back to where their homes, where they were working. And um, everybody just sort of sat there and (laughs) looked at each other. I happened to be working at my very first job that um, that time, and I remember so well, this came on Sunday afternoon, as we all know, and I went to work on Monday morning, and it was really as though the world had changed. I mean, people were just going around with a different resolve, I would say, and a lot of the men who had been serving in the reserves were in uniform, and it was it was just, as, as I've said, a, a different field, just like the world had changed, and it had. All right, we'll come right back more with Jennifer's amazing interview. It's the Friday edition of The Mark Aram Show. Welcome back to The Mark Aram Show. Mark Aram with you till 9 p.m. on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Uh, on this 95th birthday, we continue the 95th birthday of WSB Radio. We continue our tribute with Jennifer Griffey's amazing interview with an amazing listener. And, I mean, if, the, if you guys hadn't had the radio, how long would it take for you guys to get that kind of information? I can only imagine. I have no idea. Uh, well, in the newspaper, which probably have been for us a couple of days, 
And I'm sure word would have spread, you know. Somebody would have heard it. And, of course, it was so, it just involved us all. And uh, I'm sure somebody would have called somebody, and we did have a telephone, and the word would have spread that way. But nothing compared to the all the details that we heard that day on December the 7th. Wow. Anything else that stands out big on the radio or maybe the moon landing or uh, the assassination of President Kennedy? Maybe that was TV at that point. Well, TV, yes. And and uh, I, I did watch TV for the moon landing. I'm sure it was amazing uh, to the to people who had only radio. Or, but um, I can't remember just now. Oh, yes, I do. Well, during the war years, the, our source of, of news was the radio. Of course, we had the newspaper, but uh, to to really get the feel of it, we would listen to the radio, and they would have, before we entered for the United States in the war, we would listen to the, from London, the bombs, when the, the London, or when Europe, I mean, England was being so viciously attacked. You could hear with these brave souls who were broadcasting that you could hear the bombs falling and the sirens and everything. And it sent shivers down your spine. <laughs> BB, thank you so much. I mean, it's fascinating. I really appreciate you taking the time out and happy birthday. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's the Friday edition of The Mark Aram Show. All right, welcome back to the show, Friday edition of The Mark Aram Show uh, on Twitter at Mark Aram, Facebook, Mark Aram, WSB, and Instagram, Mark Aram. Uh, thanks to Jennifer Griffiths with that amazing interview. Um, I want to continue to celebrate the 95th birthday of WSB Radio. I asked a lot of my cohorts in the newsroom uh, to share their most memorable moment, the most memorable story that they've covered in their time at WSB Radio. And I want to give mine just to lead off. Uh, again, I've been here 19 years. I've seen a lot of stuff uh, happen, uh, both on the roads and off the roads, and a lot of breaking news. Uh, but to me, no question about it, the most memorable moment uh, and story that I covered here at WSB Radio was uh, September 11th, 2001. I was working in the traffic center at that time, and I wasn't yet full-time on television. I was kind of like the producer role um, that Alex Williams and Ashley Frasca play in the mornings now. And I remember we got first word of uh, a plane hitting the World Trade Center, and we all just assumed it was a small, you know, like Cessna that, that hit the Trade Center. And we were getting uh, live pictures from, uh, from Good Morning America, and it didn't seem like that big of a deal. And we were covering it as kind of a breaking news story. It was a really slow news day, I remember. We were leading, believe it or not, on Atlanta's Morning News with Michael Jordan either coming out of retirement or retiring. It was something. And we were all like, oh, man, what a slow news day. This is our, our top story. And then, of course, the, the plane hit the tower. And then we were all watching when the second plane hit. And that's when we knew, all right, this is terrorism. This is a big story. Um, and that was the first time that I ever abandoned the traffic center. I said, Traffic's not important to me right now. I'm going to the newsroom, doing whatever I can to help out. And so my role that morning was uh, to to surf the web and find whatever I could for Scott Slade um, as he continued the breaking news coverage. So I was checking all the foreign newspapers, like what were they saying in London and and China and, and everywhere around the world. What were they, how they were reporting this, or what information they had? And I just kept feeding him to that. And then I stayed here throughout the day. And was on the air that night at like midnight 
with Matt Reese covering uh, the, the still developing story. We, we were still waiting for the, the next shoe to drop. Just a crazy story. I wanted so badly to go to New York and cover the story. I said, you know, uh, I lived there. I have friends there. I, I knew people, uh, police officer friends, firefighter friends up there. I was begging to go cover uh, the breaking news on September 11th in New York. And uh, I kept getting shot down by managers. Like, no, 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 stay here, blah, blah, blah. We're going to send Richard Sangster. And then, they, of course, they shut down all the flights going to New York. And Sangster actually did go up, but he caught uh, a Red Cross flight. He got a seat on a Red Cross flight. I remember being really mad that I didn't get to go up there and cover it because that was the biggest story of my lifetime. I wanted to be there, and I wanted to help out. But that by far... Uh, is my most uh, memorable news story here at WSB Radio. All right, that is mine. Let's from here from uh, some of my colleagues here at WSB Radio as we mark our 95th anniversary. Hey, Mark Aram, thanks so much for letting me be a part of the show tonight. So I have about 30-some-odd years here at WSB. Won't bore the audience with so many stories, but I've covered quite a few in my reporting days. And one of the ones that really stands out in my mind as a really big day, not only for the radio station, but also for the city of Atlanta, was on September 19, 1990. Our morning show was Skinny Bobby Harper and Kathy Fishman. I was the Richard Sangster of the team, meaning I was our morning street reporter, and we were all at Underground Atlanta that morning. And why were we there? It was for the announcement of which city would host the Centennial Olympic Games. Who knew when Juan Antonio Samaranch took to the mic and said, and we were all watching on this big screen as it was projected into underground Atlanta, that the games were coming to the city of Atlanta. And what made it so special was the actual announcement happened during morning drive at 7.50 a.m. Hello, Mark Aram. It's Bill Caiaccio. And uh, one of the stories that I remember the most, I haven't been here as long as some folks, but uh, so I don't go back to 9-11 or that kind of thing. But one of the stories that I remember the most covering here at WSB was the uh, the day that the Braves announced they were coming to, to Cobb County. I remember talking to our former colleague from the AJC, Mike Morris, and he came over to my desk that morning and uh, mentioned that he saw a story that the Braves were going to announce that they were moving to Cobb County. And I remember thinking, you've got to be kidding, because usually with a story of that magnitude, you at least hear rumors before something like that breaks. But it just kind of suddenly hit, and the next thing we know, we are on to this big story that the Braves were moving from Turner Field to Cobb County. And it's just amazing uh, all the developments that have happened since, and now the Braves are getting ready to open their new ballpark next month in Marietta. Hey, it's Veronica Waters here. You know I've covered a lot of criminal cases like this supposed mafia case involving the famous Gold Club Strip Club and the trial of the DeKalb County Sheriff who hired a hit team to kill the guy who beat him in the election. And I got to fly out to the USS Roosevelt to sail into port with them after their really successful stint in the Iraq War. But one of the most special stories I've ever covered was with Richard Jewell. Now, the Olympic Park bombing happened a year before I got to Atlanta, but years later, I met Richard at a party, and I walked up to him all nervous to be around him because I wanted to thank him for what he had done to help save all those people's lives at Centennial Olympic Park. Spotting that bomb and getting people away from it, so many more people could have and would have died if it wasn't for Richard. And then to be falsely accused of setting it, that was really a travesty. Anyway, later, I covered the capture and the guilty plea of Eric Robert Rudolph, the real killer, 
And so when the 10th anniversary of the bombing happened, it was an honor that Richard agreed to sit down with me and only me to talk about the whole thing. And I just remember that his heart was so broken that as much as he had done that night, he still wasn't able to save everybody. Here's a little piece of the series that I did in 2006. The blast knocked him onto his hands and knees. I immediately smelled that gunpowder smell. The chaos, the screaming, the hollering, the running, everybody running into each other. On the eve of the bombing's 10th anniversary, Jewel made his annual pilgrimage here to the park to place a single red rose near the lamppost, which shines for bombing victim Alice Hawthorne. If we'd all had more, just five more minutes... Nobody would have gotten hurt. Just five more minutes. So I have a couple moments that I will always remember as far as working in the WSB radio newsroom. Um, uh, one of them is obviously Snowpocalypse, one of just the most amazing two or three days as the city has ever seen. Everything was on lockdown and everything was was under ice. Barely made it up here uh, ahead of all the, all the snow and ice. But the other one happened... Um, two or three years after I got out of school and I was doing the overnight news and it was very late in my shift. It was around four or five in the morning. And uh, this is in 2003. So I was only out of school a couple of years and Saddam Hussein was captured and it, it broke right. Uh, not quite the middle of the night. It was very early in the morning and I got to go on the air and, uh, and break in with that. And then we went wall to wall with CNN and got to update it a little bit more. And it was just one of those moments where, uh, you just think to yourself, I'm really doing the news right here. And uh, it, it was just kind of fun to do that. It, it ended up being an enormous story. And, you know, you do the overnight, you don't get to break too much stuff. But I got to break that one. And uh, it's something I will always cherish. That and working with Mark Aram, of course. So this is Chris Camp in the newsroom, the Olympic Park bombing. And here's later the capture of Eric Rudolph in the western North Carolina mountains. Remember Richard Sangster out of breath as he was telling us what he was seeing after the Bluffton bus crash, the Fulton County Courthouse shooting, and the capture of Brian Nichols, Snowmageddon. How about the first Ross Harris court hearing when everyone was floored about the sexting revelations and the fact we weren't running on delay? Ouch. Uh, But uh, in my years here at WSB, probably the most memorable has to be 9-11. It was a nondescript Tuesday morning. At that time, you'll remember Atlanta's morning news gave way to the Bortz show at 8.30, so we'd wrapped up the show for the day, and we're looking ahead to stories to cover later in that day. I'm sitting at an edit position in the newsroom, and it's about 10 to 9, and a monitor in front of me cuts to New York City and smoke billowing from one of the World Trade Center towers. Hit the intercom that uh, we need to do a break in, knowing what's happened is bad, not knowing, of course, what was unfolding exactly. Uh, but I did the break-in shortly thereafter. Scott Slade was on the air, and we all know the rest. And in fact, we were feeding coverage, our coverage, to music stations outside Atlanta that didn't have a news staff or any major networks. This is Sabrina Gibbons-Cupid. I've been here at WSB for 17-plus years, so a lot has happened. Of course, 9-11 is the number one thing that's in my mind. I can remember exactly what I was doing when I first heard and saw what had happened. I was walking back from the break room here at WSB with my coffee, getting ready to write my newscast. At that point, all of my coworkers here at WSB, Chris Camp, Scott Slade, everybody else just jumped into breaking news mode, and we went wall-to-wall with live coverage, so I'll never forget that day. Other big stories, the Dunwoody Daycare Center murder trial also happened as I was about to go on the 
the air. And then, of course, the hot car death trial. I can remember uh, I had to leave to go to a doctor's appointment. We were carrying the trial, so I was so into it, I didn't want to get out of the car, but I had to, if that gives you any idea about uh, how we get sucked into the stories that we actually cover. And, of course, since I cover health stories, the biggest story for me so far would have to be Zika, the first ever uh, time that a mosquito-borne virus has caused birth defects I went to Puerto Rico to see firsthand the damage that it causes. I saw pregnant women fearing that their unborn children would be born with serious birth defects. I also saw the devastation that it caused to the economy there and the problems of trying to control the mosquitoes that carry this virus. That was just last year, and I think we're going to be dealing with Zika for quite some time. It's the Friday edition of The Mark Aram Show. Joining us now on the program, um, he has been in one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite television shows. An absolute honor to welcome Dominic Monahan to the Mark Aram Show. How are you, Dominic? Hey, man. Yeah, I'm good. A uh, big fan of Lost. Um, I got entirely wrapped up in uh, in that show for many, many years. And, of course, uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, amazing. Um, and now you've got a new movie coming out in theaters. Uh, it's called Atomica. Tell us about this. Yeah, Atomica's the story of a... Uh lady who goes to investigate where an underground nuclear silo has lost communications with the outside world. When she gets there, she finds myself, uh, who works at the place, and tells her that my co-worker went crazy and tried to kill me. And then when she finds my co-worker, he says the same thing. So she's trying to work out who's telling the truth, whilst the uh, underground nuclear silo is about to explode. Is this uh, is this in, in the near future during the Trump administration or after the Trump administration? Yeah, it definitely could be. Uh, <laughs> I think it's set in the not too distant future, it's like 2030. Excellent, and I'm um, I'm told um, Tom Sizemore is in this movie with you. What was it working like uh, with Tom Sizemore? Yeah, it was great, man. I mean, Tom Sizemore's been in the business for a long time. He's got some really interesting stories. He's obviously uh, a great actor, you know, brings a great performance into every scene. So I had a great time working. He, he's, a, he's a legendary Hollywood character, and you mentioned the great stories. Anything happen with you guys on or off set that uh, he can file away in that legendary story column? Nah, he was very well behaved when, when I was working with him. I mean, obviously, he told me some great stories about working with Pacino and De Niro and knowing Jack Nicholson and stuff like that. But in terms of um, uh, legendary, you know, naughty stories there was there was nothing too shocking Dominic Monaghan joining us on the Mark Aram show <laughs> Dominic uh, legendary you mentioned some legendary actors that uh, Mr. Sizemore has worked with in your career has there have you ever gotten on set and said wow I am working with this person and it kind of blew you away yeah I do that quite often I mean you know I was lucky enough to work with Hugh Jackman who's a lovely guy obviously Ian McKellen Kate Blanchett Ian Holm you know those type of people definitely stand out um and hopefully there'll be more to come you know dominic monahan joining us on the mark aram show uh when you're walking down the street i'm assuming you get recognized a lot do most people recognize you from lord of the rings or from lost at this point probably lord of the rings more than anything else which i find funny because i don't look that much like the character that i play in lord of the rings you know obviously he wore a wig and ears and feet and all that kind of stuff but um i think the longevity of lord of the rings is a little stronger than lost i mean obviously i got my fair share of lost as well and and in lord of the rings international hit right i'm sure you go to shanghai and people know who you are yeah but lost was the same too you know what i find funny is when people recognize me from something really small and only that thing 
I might be recognized by someone for a, a regional English detective show that I did when I was, you know, in my in my teenage years. Or, you know, some people only know me from an Eminem video, and that's it. They're like, oh, you're the guy from the Eminem video. <laughs> like, wow, that's, that's crazy that you only know me from that, but that's, that's great, you know. Well, fantastic. And, and now the next generation will know you from Atomica, uh, in theaters uh, today, I believe, and uh, video on demand in HD. Yeah, today in New York and L.A., uh, and then it comes out video on demand on the 21st. My man. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. Joining us for the second time on The Mark Aram Show, uh, one of our favorite actors here, and I know you love him too, John McGinley. John, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Mark. I love Atlanta. We love you. We loved the first season of Stand Against Evil. Fantastic. As much as me. Oh, my God. What? Everything on the planet. Is, was that just like a, a, a gift from God? That role well, for it you? Was hard. I mean, you remember last summer? That was it was brutal last summer. But that was all mitigated by the quality of the writing that Dana Gould. I mean, Dana Gould. Look, he, he he's he's the Norman Lear of his generation. And when people put stuff as as funny and as inventive as that on the page, I, I just want you to call action and get the hell out of my eye. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was a fantastic series. We loved it, and you're staying busy. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you've got a movie coming out on Friday called The Belko Experiment. Tell us about that. The Belko Experiment is is the dark side of corporate mentality. It's kill or be killed in the workplace. It's it's the Japanese film Battle Royale versus uh, combined with Office Space. It's wild. It's an extreme ride. It's intense. It's entertaining. Uh, you can relate to the different characters who are in the workplace, and they are pushed to their limits. It's fantastic. And it's it's called the Belko Experiment. Opens in theaters nationwide, uh, Friday, March seventeenth. Is it reminiscent of one of your earlier classics, which I also think is a psychological thriller, Surviving the Game? Yes. It's right. Yes. Yes. So for those it's that it's woven from the same cloth. Okay, so for those that have never seen Surviving the Game, A, shame on you. B, yeah, it, what a cast in that movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, Rutger Howard, uh, Ice-T. Um, I mean, just a crazy sh- uh, movie. It Murray, was Mary, Mary Abraham, Rock Dutton, that's old. I forgot Murray Abraham was on there. He just he had just won an Oscar for Amadeus. Amadeus. Have you seen him in uh, oh, yeah. Homeland? Homeland? He, that, that character, Dara Dahl. Might be uh, the character I hate most in television history right now. That guy is just flat-out evil. He's dark, but Murray is such a good actor. He can just turn that on. He is. He, he, if, I, if I ever meet him, I'm going to be freaked out by him because he was, he was an SOB in Amadeus, and now in Homeland, you just don't want to deal with him. And he wasn't a nice guy in Surviving the Game either. He was pretty bad in that one too. Yeah, that's a great actor. That's, that's a great actor. The Belko Experiment uh, is going to be a great movie. Uh, anyone else will will be familiar with in this cast? Yeah, Tony Goldwyn. You'll know. Uh, he, he, Tony, and I are uh, become the bad guys, but we are also the guys who just decide we're the ones who are going to make it out of here. Uh, and you, you'll recognize just about a million people in this ensemble. It's such a strong ensemble you can't even believe it very cool all right i look forward to it it's going to be a date my movie this friday john mcginley always a pleasure and make sure you hook up uh, with us when you're back down in atlanta my friend yeah we come down third week of uh, of may to uh, crank out season two so i'm pretty darn excited about that Fa- all right we'll break bread my friend thanks mark i <laughs> right, see you john Welcome back to the Friday edition of The Mark Aram Show with you Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 p.m. on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB, celebrating our 95th birthday here 
uh, at WSB Radio. I, I was told, Tim Andrews, the second oldest radio station in the nation behind, you know what? KDKA in Pittsburgh. Look at you. Yeah, You're like the, the Farmer's Almanac or whatever <laughs> that is. Just call me Ben uh, Franklin. Yeah. In the 95 years, I can say this without certain. Um, Fortune Feimster's never been on WSB Radio. I have never. It took you 95 years to get 95 here. years. I'm a ghost now. But well worth the wait. <laughs> for sure. For well, sure. Welcome to the Mark Aram Show. Uh, Fortune, you know her from stage and screen and a lot of funny stuff. And she will be making the funnies uh, this weekend at the Punchline, the new location in Buckhead, Piedmont, and Roswell Road. Fortune, welcome to the Mark Aram Show. Thanks for having me. And you, uh, off the air, we talked, you are a Southern gal. You're a I North am Carolina girl. North Carolina, for sure. We're almost neighbors, one state in between us. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> we actually border, right? Do we, we yeah, border there's some parts. Yeah. I don't know geography. We go to the, the casino, Tim. Yeah, in Cherokee. Cherokee. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And see the bears in the zoo there. <laughs> There's bears in the zoo? Yeah, they have a di- very sad zoo in Cherokee. A I've never been anywhere zoo. but the casino yeah. and the McDonald's. That's Those are the only <laughs> places I've been at uh, Cherokee. So you grew up outside of Charlotte. Outside of Charlotte in Belmont, a little tiny town. Charlotte's a happening place now, isn't it's, it? It's up in, I feel like it's the, uh, the next Atlanta. It's like kind of... Well, it was on that way yeah. until you banned gays. And I think well, that kind of... Put I, I tried to stop them. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really impacted. <laughs> the uh, the business in North Carolina. Yeah, for sure. I mean, hopefully the new governor can turn it around, but I get nervous every time I go home. I have to walk into a bathroom announcing to people that I'm a woman. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> they get confused. We've got a vagina I'm like, here, I'm ladies. a woman! <laughs> I'm allowed to be in here. Don't kick me out. So, Fortune, growing up in North Carolina, um, not too far from Atlanta, did, did has your comedy career ever taken you to the Empire City of the South? Have you been in yeah, Atlanta Yeah, uh, per- I perform in Charlotte and Raleigh. Uh, so I've gotten to go home and do some shows, but I didn't start comedy until I went to LA. I decided to start uh, where it was more difficult, <laughs> <laughs> where the where the pool was deeper. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I started at the comedy store too, of all places. Uh, but it made me st- tough. It made me stronger. So. And how long ago was that? Like how long um, have you been doing stand up? I've been doing stand up now ten years. Uh, but I started at the Groundlings first. I thought I'd be on that SNL. Path. More of an improv kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I tested for that show twice, but it just wasn't meant to be. Saturday Night Live? Uh huh. Really? Yeah. That's I, pretty cool, though. Yeah. You, you get to test for it. What they is flew it like, me out two summers in a row. Like I, an SAT kind of thing? It was pretty, pretty <laughs> terrifying. Uh, and Lauren Michaels just stares at you, you know, and. Do you do any impressions or have any characters? <laughs> That's and a good I Lord said, Michaels no, I right don't, there. which is why I didn't get hired. So, right, so you you. Uh, you go out there, and yeah. you have to, I'm assuming they, they want to see your best characters? or yeah. The first time I auditioned uh, was actually from a North Carolina connection. My friend from high school was like, oh, my friend works at SNL. I'll see if she'll watch your tape. And you think, like, that's never yeah, going to exactly. happen. Uh, and she... She watched it. No kidding. And uh, I got a call on like a Wednesday afternoon at like three. They're like, hey, it's, you know, so-and-so from Saturday Night Live. You're like, uh, you know, it's that call you (laughs) dream of your whole life. And she's like, um, I got your tape from our friend. And I was like, oh my God, my friend was legit. Of all people, this Belmont, North Carolina (laughs) connection got me an SNL, uh, audition and uh they said we love your tape and we wanted you to come audition and i was like oh my gosh she's like but you need to get on a plane tonight so you were in la when this happened I was in la you to fly to new york yeah this was back in 2009 okay so you fly to new york fly and to what, new what's york what's the scene like there uh 
you know, it was nerve wracking. It was, I, I was, I had no time to prepare, which might, I think in hindsight was better. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and you know, you're just a ball of nerves. And, uh, I remember, um, I, you get there, they put you in hair and makeup and then I wait. I waited for two hours. Wait, but, wait, you need hair and makeup? Yeah, because they film it. Oh, Because it's okay. like, you know, you can it's go like back Michael's and- Michael's got a little yeah. fetish going here. It's kind of like <laughs> a historical thing, because a lot of, like a Will Ferrell, you can go back and see his audition. Yeah. Um, so it's maybe it's something like for posterity you or something. <laughs> and Harry Carey. <laughs> yeah, he, he did the thing uh, with the cat toy. Yeah. And like, oh, that's right. And I yelled at that. the kid to get off the... So you do it on the actual SNL stage? On the actual stage. Oh, my goodness. And um, it was... Uh, Fortune Feepsters uh, in studio. She's the punch on this weekend. You got to go see her. Uh, I, I didn't want to interrupt, but oh, I no. wanted to make sure folks can come see you. <laughs> Tickets still available online. Punchline. Punchline.com. Um, so what characters did you have? Can we hear some um, of them? Oh my God. I don't even remember. I honestly don't remember what I did because that was eight, what, eight years ago? Yeah. Um, I think I did, uh, well, I don't really do impressions, yeah. which is maybe one of the reasons I didn't get the job. Uh, I did a Hooters waitress character. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but my, it was funny because my last, I did a, uh, maybe a Jane Lynch, I think. Okay. And cause Glee was. I think popular just come out yeah. and um uh my last two characters was I was in my normal clothes and all of a sudden I take off my first layer of clothes and I'm Richard Simmons <laughs> and I prance around the stage <laughs> as nice. Richard Simmons and then Tim, I do you a Richard Simmons I do let me hear Let's a little Richard it. Simmons I'm fine don't send anyone out to LA to find me I hate this podcast Gary Gary <laughs> give me the box give me the box very nice all right so you do a Richard Simmons I do a Richard Simmons yeah. and I take that layer of clothes off yeah and I'm the Hooters waitress oh that's amazing and then I end the audition with this pile of clothes in the floor I yeah. felt like a prostitute who was you know, gathering up her clothes at the <laughs> end of at the end of her duties and shaking uh, the glitter off. Yeah, and I'm like, I'll just uh, pick up my dignity and get <laughs> out of here. So you do it, and then what happens? You wait to hear from them. What's the process? You don't get any. They don't in Hollywood in general. You never hear like they never call you and say no. You just like read it in the paper that gotcha, someone else yeah. got it. Uh, so that year they hired I think Nassim, uh, and then uh, so then. I was like, all right, you know, I didn't get it. But they're like, no, you know, a lot of people audition like two or three times. Yeah. And then Lauren came out to a show I did at the Groundlings like six months later uh, with Kristen Wiig and a bunch of those people. No pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> um, and that went really well. And they brought me back again the next summer. Uh, and they were like, we're so, you know, glad he got to see you live. Because I'm not a great auditioner. It's a mm -hmm. whole different it's a tough ball thing, game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm going to end the audition with a big finale dance where, for whatever reason, I thought I would put a carrot in my back pocket because the whole <laughs> dance was me dancing to a plate of donuts and trying to resist it. And yeah. I, I, I thought, oh, I'll have a carrot at the end. Well, the freaking carrot kept falling out of my pocket and then at one point just flung across the stage. And so it didn't quite. The, it didn't have the effect it, it you wanted. It did not. So I, I don't. But you, so you got a call back twice. Twice, yeah. So is that is that cool, or are you bummed like that that you didn't get the gig? No, I mean, I you know, it just wasn't meant to be. My friend Taryn in Taryn Killam got it that season, yeah. and he had auditioned three times and finally got it. Um, and then I don't. I ended up getting Chelsea lately. Six months after that, I don't know if I would have gotten an all, another audition yeah. or not, but I didn't submit the next summer. 
Um, and and I, I, I haven't seen, I, I'm not a regular watcher yeah. of Saturday Night Live, um, but I certainly didn't watch in that 09, 2010, mm-hmm. 11 era. That seems yeah. like a forgotten kind of era of Saturday Night Live, or am I wrong I on that? It was Bill Hader, it was like when Bill Hader, okay, Jason Sudeikis, Kristen Wiig, oh, all right, that bad. was their oh, you, time. Oh, you totally missed the boat then. But then they like retired like <laughs> two years yeah. later, so that I think was kind of the more forgotten time. So I would have been like a little part of it. Let me. Are, are you uh, scorned now? Like, oh, today, I'm if, so if, angry. If uh, <laughs> if Lorne Michaels was listening to the Mark Aram show like he usually does totally. on a Friday night. Mark, and he I, says, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> you would and he calls you up and says, "Hey, can can you come audition for, for us sure. again?" I'd probably like to see. Uh, see I don't <laughs> regret, that's why I didn't get hired. Uh, you're fantastic. You, I really loved your work. Would you do Terrible. it though? Uh, I at this point, I think no. Yeah, screw it. Um, because you know, I'm, I'm now I'm have a pretty decent career. Yeah. I, I'm on the Mindy Project, and once bitten, twice shy. S- you know. Can I ask a personal question? Sure. Let's is get Mindy deep. single? She is. Yeah, I think. We're on hiatus right okay. now. I don't know Find what she's. I don't know what she's up to at the moment. I've got kind of a big crush on her. Oh really? And if she's single, you you wanna you wanna get on that? I would love to take her out to dinner. Oh, that sounds. I don't. Weird. I'm not gonna say I want to get on that. Uh, you're you're <laughs> more romantic. Yeah, than absolutely. I, am. I I think she's I think she's hilarious. I think she's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so hook it up. Well, she'd be very flattered. I'm sure she'd love to. Please. I, I mean, I'll fly out to L.A. wherever All I right. gotta go. I'll tell her she's got a, a gentleman caller. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Excellent. Who doesn't want to get on that, <laughs> but who wants yet? yet. We'll work who to wants that. to lead up to it with a nice dinner? Yeah, exactly. All right. I'll uh, go to. There's. I know some good restaurants in. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Santa Monica. I've okay. Been to Santa Monica bunch. I know a couple of spots there. Yeah. Well, listen. I, we might have found a love connection there here. You Are you? Do you still live in LA? I do. Yeah. What? Do you like it? I love it. I've been out there 14 years, and I never thought a Southern girl would right? fit in at a place like LA. But you just kind of find your people. I live in the Valley, though, so it's kind of like the. You All know. I know from the Valley is um, from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. And Larry Sanders banging yeah. on the Valley for being too hot. The valley's like the less flashy area, yeah. uh, so you know I just roll through Beverly, Beverly Hills very quickly. Yeah, and uh, I walk into the Rodeo Drive shops holding Old Navy bags and, and tell uh, them, big mistake. But how? I mean, you're uh, you're on tour right now. This yeah. is officially the uh, the tour. Yeah, it's it doesn't have like a cool name or anything, <laughs> but we'll come up with one. For yeah, you. I'm just rolling through cities, hoping people come see my show. Excellent. Uh, we're on hiatus from Mindy, the Mindy Project. Uh, we come back in July. All I right. mean, the show's currently airing on Hulu, so check it out. Absolutely. Um, so I'll text you in July to remind. Text you me in July to hook me up, with and Mindy. I'll be like Mindy. I got. She probably knows who I am. Yeah, for simply sure. Simply because I stalk her on Instagram <laughs> and I like all of her posts. She's like, who's this guy who keeps wanting to take me out in Santa Monica? Yeah, who's this chubby Jewish guy that likes <laughs> every one of my Instagram posts? Well, if you do that, I will get you on Saturday Night Live. How's that? Oh, that sounds like a, a win-win. <laughs> Can you hang on one more second? Sure. All right. Uh, Fortune Feimster is at the Punchline this weekend. Shows tonight, Saturday, and... Sunday. Sunday. All right. I just want to make sure. Sometimes there's no Sunday shows. Tickets available online at punchline.com. All right. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Friday edition of The Mark Aram Show. 
Welcome back. Friday edition of the Mark Aram Show. Uh, Fortune Feimster, hilarious comedian. Comedian or comedian? Is, is oh, that? We'll go with comedian because right. sometimes people can't tell the difference. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> I'm telling you that bathroom thing. The ba- well, but you're yeah. in a safe place now. Really you upset. Use, uh, I think, believe at the uh, new punchline location in Buckhead, um, gender free bathrooms. I mean, you could just. Uh, we just actually are gender neutral. We have a common, <laughs> we have a small uh, ante room. Yeah. And then you go into your slip, your room. You're not You're your not at slip. the door checking genitalia. No, no, okay. it is. It, and I'm surprised that people tend to work it out. Yeah, you know? people figure <laughs> it out. They just <laughs> walk into, walk in somewhere. Is this yeah. your first time performing Atlanta? Uh, I performed a couple of years ago, but my first time at the Punchline. So and unless you're at the Punchline, you haven't performed in Ex- Atlanta. So. Yes, exactly. Right. So I'm super excited Excellent. to be doing it. And All I'm right. going to eat a lot of fried food while I'm here. Well, the, the diner that's attached to uh, the Punchline. I've heard 18 pages of food. Sick. You I plan go. to eat 17 of the 18 pages. Can I, can I say one thing to you? Yes, please. And you might scorn, you might laugh, you might... Uh, turn your your eyes and roll, but uh-huh. um, tuna melt. Really? Tuna melt. I would not have guessed the tuna melt. So good, and the Reuben's good too. The Reuben. Yeah. Well, that's your people's. <laughs> that's a Jew's nugget right there. <laughs> Tim, you, uh, what's your favorite dish at the Landmark Diner? My fa- uh, their country fried steak. Really? Oh yeah, it's good. A lot of good gravy on that. Well, yeah, the gravy is. I like the turkey and stuff. I'm I'm getting hungry now. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, uh, no. Fortune, where can we find out more about you online and all that good stuff? Fortunefeimster.com. Find out so much about me. Or Instagram is also Fortunefeimster. I'm gonna follow you right now. Facebook, all I'm that stalk stuff. You like I do. Maybe. Please come on and tell the folks how to spell Feimster because it's a weird spelling. I know. Uh, F E I M S T E R. Perfect. Looks like Feimster, but it's Feimster. Feimster. It's been a it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming in. Oh, I've had a lovely time. Best Thank of luck. You. Um we'll see you again next time here in Atlanta. Yeah, please. All right. News, weather, traffic next. This is the Mark Aram Show.